1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Tradecast, brought to you by Rotoviz Radio and our friends at Indochino and Ship Station. Hear more about those guys later in the episode. All right, today, week four is in the books, and I am joined by my good friend, Dan Seno. How's it going tonight, Dan?
2: Hi, I'm back. I made it. I'm, uh, I'm here in the, the new house, the new setup, so it may sound slightly different, but we are we are back. We are excited. Week four was an interesting one, so we'll we'll dive through some topics and and hopefully not completely obliterate your ears.
1: Correct. And before we get into that, I want to remind you that you can get a listeners only ten percent discount to a Roadoviz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content and best of all it supports the podcast. You can also support us by going over to Patreon.com/slash/Rotoviz by becoming a a patron. You can possibly get access to a free Rotoviz merch at the end of the season. Um, I believe it's a seven or nine dollar uh, nine
2: nine dollar membership. Nine dollar.
1: Yep. There you go. Nine dollar membership. To the Rotoviz Patron, and you can get a free uh, Rotoviz swag at the end of the season. Let's rock and roll like that. So Patreon.com/rotoviz and slash podcast Make sure you get go to both. Get it right now if you don't yet, if you haven't yet. All right, well, let's start off with uh, our news and notes for the week. First one is going to be Melvin Gordon is hashtag back, and Austin Eckler is still hashtag good. Uh, your thoughts on this backfield right
2: now, Dan? I mean, it's it's kind of like one of the like almost an Andy Reid running back that whoever is going to be in there is going to is almost undoubtedly going to be producing. And, And Ackler's proven that he's he's a good, not great back. I would say he's more suited for the the change of pace, the pass catching guy. But he's looked pretty good on the ground actually this year. For the most part, uh, I will say that I think Melvin Gordon is a pretty sizable difference for the offense. Now, it's tough to say that with what Eckler has been able to do this year, from uh, you know accounting numbers perspective. But I think I think Melvin brings a different dynamic to the offense. I think teams are more afraid of Melvin than they are of Eckler, which maybe is why some of the games are have gotten. A little crazy for Eckler. He's putting up some, some uh, nice stat lines. But I think uh, I think most defenses have taken a liking to focusing on Keenan Allen at this point. Then they have the running backs, and now that focus will probably shift as we get Melvin Gordon back. I'm guessing he's still probably going to be on a little bit of a pitch count for this week. We were told he was going to get some some action at first for this for this current week. And then after that it was, well, we're only going to use them if it's an emergency. So, uh, and I, I, there
1: are no emergencies when you're facing the Dolphins.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no emergencies unless, you know, the stadium explodes or something. So, yeah, I think, I think Melvin's value is, it really shouldn't have moved. Yeah. There was a, the scary part about him potentially holding out and then actually holding out and well, how long is this going to last? And is he even going to play? Well, I think it's, it was almost a guarantee we knew he was going to play this year. My guess was the last 10 games, and we're going to get him for the last 12, basically. So I, I think he's right where his value was originally, the top 12 to 15 guy. And I think we see him producing day one once he gets back to the field.
1: Yeah, I think that if anything that has been hurt with Melvin, I think it, in his short-term value there is a bit of a lowered ceiling because he's not going to be the workhorse back. I don't think. Uh, I mean, some might say the argument, oh, the Chargers are going to use every single carry possible out of the char- out of Melvin Gordon. I, I think it's more likely they end up saying Eckler is really good. We're not. Go- I mean, Eckler has played really good. He, he's not going to just be phased completely out of the offense. So instead of seeing you know the old days of a you know, 20 carry Melvin, five carry Eckler, we might be seeing more of like a 17 carry Melvin and a seven carry Eckler. So I, I think the carries might be a little bit more split than in years past. But I do think that it this completely changes next year, whether it's Melvin back with the Chargers or Melvin somewhere else, whoever ends up paying Melvin the big money is going to give him the workhorse carry. So if the ceiling is lowered at all, it's a very short-term problem to have.
2: No doubt. And and like I said, I mean, the the window is definitely gone for selling Eckler. The the buying opportunities for Melvin may still linger just a little bit because he hasn't gotten back to the field. There are still some of those that believe that Eckler is going to still have uh, a little more significant of a role in that offense. But I think I think both are just hold territory right now unless you have someone ready to sell with the news that Gordon is back, uh, I still think you can get him at a a little tiny bit of a discount uh, just from a pure pure value perspective.
1: All righty. Let's move on to our next topic. It's going to be Mr. Leonard Fournette. Uh, He has been one of the bigger boom bust players in the NFL thus far this season. Yes, he's been getting the volume, but you know, there's been games where he hasn't done anything with that volume, but there's also been games where basically the results of whether Fournette had a good game or not this year and pretty much for the last two years has been, did he break off a 60, 70 yard run? And he has a few weeks this season and he hasn't in a couple weeks as well. So does this boom bust aspect scare you off of Fournette at all? Or do you think he's having enough volume that that the boom bust part doesn't matter?
2: Well, Lenny was a guy that I was off pretty much entirely because of where he was going in his, in his initial value and his inability to stay on the field now another part of that was his lack of use in the in the passing game so now we look at this year and we look at his total touches and he's already at 95 or not i'm sorry not 95 he's at at 88 he's got 23 targets and that's something I, i just i guess i'm not used to seeing and that's probably where my buy window starts is the fact that he's starting to get legit targets in an offense now run by Gardner Minshew and has a little more upside than it had surprisingly with Nick Foles so you know Leonard Fournette with a big week this week um something like 30 carries for 225 yards his targets weren't quite there this week but it seemed to be the ground and pound game versus Denver that made sense so I think I think the targets will stay in that that 4 to 6 range. He did have 8 targets last week, but he only turned that into 6 catches for 26 yards. So we know he's not super dynamic in the passing game. We know he's better north and south than, you know, trying to be shifty out in space. And the carries are consistent. You know, he started week 1 with 13 and that was his low for the season obviously getting to just about 30 this week with 29 but like you said the the big the big carries are are kind of what's prevalent in his boom bustness so yeah we can you know well if you take that away from him you have to take it away from everybody but it's part of the it's part of the deal he's not a guy that's gonna have those a ton of those big explosive plays but when he's got them it's a nice boost so I think because of his receiving floor that has just kind of come out of nowhere, I think he's kind of more in the buy realm than he was. But after that game, even though he didn't get into the end zone, he's going to be a tough buy from those that have held on through thick and thin, through the 12-game, the 10-game seasons, and all the limited success even though for the most part, when he's been on the game, he's getting all sorts of touches. So if it's a points per carry league, you've probably been somewhat fine, all things considered, but the yards really haven't been there. And um, the passing game definitely hasn't been there until this year.
1: Yeah. For me, I am looking to capitalize on these big runs with Fournette uh, in the leagues where I have him right now. I, I, I've often been an advocate of him, but the thing is that on his non 70 and 80 yard carries, he looks terrible. He runs into the the back of the right guard and sits right down. And so I I know that honestly, that's how the market views him as a guy who is not a very good running back. So it might be hard to sell, but if you can find someone that is just looking at his yards per carrying and saying, Oh, he's got a 5.6 yards per carry or whatever, whatever it is in the season that is completely saved by a two 70 plus yard runs.
2: Absolutely. And, And another thing with the whole, jacksonville thing is right Paul armstead i was thinking was going to have some legitimate upside this year and while we did get to see him a little bit this week he's been non-existent for three weeks and you know that that speaks a lot to to fournette in that regard that they're just they're going to lean on him as heavily as they possibly can and the wide receivers have been doing their thing but i i thought Armstead was gonna get some some decent market share and he just really hasn't up until this week. But they have also they also carried it like 40 times. So I think the floor is is nice and built in finally with Fournette and the team's committed to the run, obviously, and they're committed to him, it seems. So assuming health, I, I think if you can find that that void in your league where the owners selling for pre like for the prior Fournette price without moving him up into like the third round yet because i I, you know adp says he's in that realm but most owners aren't placing him there most owners aren't paying that for him if you can get him for fourth and fifth round startup type prices you can swap him for for upside guys that haven't really done anything yet i think i'm okay with that especially if you need running back at this point now we always harp on trading for need is one of the worst things you can do because you almost always lose in value, but there are times and players like this where you can both win in value and need. So I I think he's kind of a weird one where a lot of the owners that have held on aren't going to be selling now for anything, anything less than like late second or early third value. But there may still be a couple that were just looking for some window to start getting offers. And, um, You never know. The worst thing that can happen is somebody rejects your trade offer.
1: Well, Dan, as dynasty traders that we are, uh, we have some experience with with selling. But I don't think that when you sell uh, Leonard Fournette, you have to really worry about
2: shipping, do you? Not usually, unless you're shipping one of his body parts that occasionally falls off. (laughs) That is true. Uh, But when it comes to shipping, when you're
1: selling online, getting your orders can be a real pain. Uh, time-consuming expensive so many carriers to choose from how do you know if you're making the right choice well that's why you choose shipstation.com s-h-i-p-s-t-a-t-i-o-n.com it's the fastest easiest and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders it's the best way to sell shipstation helps you get your orders out quickly save money on shipping costs and keep your customers happy no matter where you're selling amazon etsy Uh, Your own website, Uh, maybe you're uh, brewing some home beer where it's illegal to sell beer on the the Internet, who knows, making them really easy to manage uh, from any device, even from your cell phone. ShipStation works with all the major carriers, including USPS, FedEx, UPS, and even Amazon Fulfillment. So you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. They can even offer big discounts on shipping costs. Now any business can access the same postage discounts that are usually reserved for large Fortune 500 companies. You'll always know that you're getting the best deal. No wonder ShipStation is number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. All right. So, make sure that you go to shipstation.com and type in blue on the search bar. Type in blue on the search search bar shipstation.com blue in the search bar to get your shipping needs done. All right. Let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles backfield. Uh Jordan Howard probably had like the best game of his career uh, <laughs> on Thursday night football against the who are they playing? Packers. And Miles Sanders, I kind of always assumed that there would be some failure to launch in year one with with Miles Sanders, and everyone was kind of assuming that that he'd be this great back in year one, drafting him in the fifth or sixth round of redraft. But I always thought that was a bit presumptuous to say in that backfield that has so many running backs that Sanders would be the number one uh, going out. Now, granted, before this past week, Jordan Howard hadn't done anything astounding to earn that RB1 role either, but he had a huge game in week th- uh, week four, and I don't see him losing that job anytime soon if he continues to play that way.
2: Yeah, I mean, the the Doug Peterson offense thing, I think, is something people almost entirely look past. He He's not one to bell cow aside from aside from all pro Jamal Charles in 2013, I want to say he's, he's going to divide up his carries. Now he's probably going to have a one a and a one B in his committees, but no one's really going to get the volume we want in these, in these types of players. So the fact that Howard is, well, had a game like that and has actually been playing somewhat decent this year and, and, all of a sudden getting involved in the passing game where I think Miles Sanders excels. It's not great for year one. The future outlook, I don't think, has much bearing on what's happening right now. Aside from the fact that I actually do think it's going to be, probably for the most part, a running back by committee. I don't see Sanders pulling away at any point in time. I think he's always involved for the time he's there. But I think he's mostly only involved as a pass catcher. And I think he's going too high in just about any format. He's just, he's not going to be a guy that dominates touches and neither is Jordan Howard, but Jordan Howard's more likely to be the two down guy and Sanders, the pass catching back or split out to play receiver or whatever it happens to be. I just don't see either one of these guys fully dominating any of the touches. I think it'll be continued, you know, the hot hand committee feel, whatever you want to call it. But if Jordan Howard continues to play like this, Miles Sanders isn't touching that backfield this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this will be on the, obviously will be on the higher end of his performances and it'll end up being a fantasy nightmare. One that you're not really confident, never starting either of those backs until one of them gets injured. And if one of them gets injured, then they're, you know, in guaranteed RB one territory, I mean, RB one touches his territory. And I, I was very high on that Eagles offense entering the season. I thought Wentz was going to have an MVP type season. That really hasn't been the case so far this season. Uh, he played well on Thursday, but I certainly expected that Eagles offense to be better to this point.
2: Yeah, and and I think I think as they get healthier and and everyone starts to kind of be together because you got to remember this offense hasn't had Carson Wentz for a full season like ever. So everyone's start getting back. You know, into the swing of things, getting to know each other a little bit better. The offense has to get healthy, whether it's Alshon, whether it's J.J. white whiteside or the tight ends or the running backs, whoever it happens to be, they're not completely cohesive unit quite yet. So as the as the season goes on, I think the the offense becomes more efficient and more productive. But I just I don't see the running back outlook changing much. That there's the the upside is capped by the volume being, you know, basically split. And we're still seeing Darren Sproles being involved in this too. Now, obviously he's one of those all timers who's, whether it's, you know, punt or kick returning or splitting out wide receiver in the slot or just taking carries, he's going to be involved. It's not going to be 10, 12, 15 touches, but it could be four, six or eight. And that's got to come out of someone's pocket. So it's, it's one of those offenses where it's just, The upside isn't quite there because of the pieces that are involved and how the how history tells us they've been used.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess. So from the dynasty lens here, do you think Jordan Howard gets even, even like a split of an RB1 role in his next destination? Because I'm, ge- I'm guessing the Eagles made this trade for Howard thinking, hey, a, a, this will be an opportunity to have a veteran back in front of, I'm guessing they planned on drafting a, a running back early, which they did in Sanders. So they, I'm guessing they saw this trade as veteran running back for a year plus the compensation pick later on. So do you think Howard in his next destination is a split RB1 and RB2? Where do you see him in his next role?
2: He's he's just the the two down carry eater. Honestly, he's not he doesn't have a ton of upside. His his Chicago exit was very Jeremy Hillish to me. He's he's not gonna do much of anything wherever he's going to be aside from get a bunch of carries, assuming people want to give it to him. So I think while he's in Philly, he'll have 12 to 15 carries most every game. Some games he'll have 30 yards, some games he'll have 70 yards, and he may score a couple touchdowns. But that's a lot to be chasing after in this in this backfield altogether. I, I'm me personally, I'm fading the the whole committee. Um, I don't think that outlook changes whether it's Jordan Howard or someone else taking some of the two down work. I do think Miles Sanders has PPR upside, which is where I like him. Problem is is at that, that price tag. You're never, you're never going to get it. You, you'd be more suited to go after a James White or a Chris Thompson, someone like that, than than what I see in in Miles Sanders.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think that any Sanders owners are selling low right now. Uh, all right, let's move on to our next topic, and it's going to be the debut of Miss of one Dwayne Haskins. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they told him all week, "You're not going to play. You're not going to play. You're not going to play." not going to give you first team snaps not going to give you first team snaps and what do they do halfway through the second quarter oh let's throw you in at quarterback uh you know uh, that'll be a great idea and uh, were, were they on the road too or um, i can't remember what, where they were but regardless division opponent in the middle of the second quarter as your nfl debut is not the ideal scenario and he obviously did not play well uh he looked not good and he's playing for a not good team that has very limited weapons and no offensive line with Trent Williams still holding out as well. So for for me, the, the way I'm looking at this right now, I think that they give Keenum one more week against the Patriots. They don't want to throw Haskins in his first start against the Patriots. And then after that, they go, OK, it's the Haskins show because Gruden's only shot at keeping his job is if Haskins has like a Jimmy Garoppolo-esque like end to the season like Garoppolo had a few years ago, where it you know it's like oh okay this is the future of the franchise this is the guy who's gonna gonna lead us, and that's the only like that hope and that promise is the only way that Gruden keeps his job.
2: Yeah, and I know you mentioned they, they were on the road so they were they were in New York, they made the Giants look like the Giants of of Christmas past that won Eli all of his two Super Bowls. And, um, yeah, if I had to describe the Haskins game in in one word, it would just be yikes because that was, that was tough. And obviously Keenum wasn't playing well and he's, he's been kind of on the struggle bus after a decent start. Keenum was one of those, those bargain bin quarterbacks that was just kind of nice to stream. But I think you're right. I think we see Keenum in and then maybe Keenum has an okay game versus new England. I think if he, if he can keep you know the the boat uh, above water. They'll probably stick with Keenum until the wheels fully fall off, and then make that switch to Haskins. Just be—it's clear Haskins isn't ready. And as much as I want to say that the reps are important, he's gonna get himself killed out there. It it wasn't good. I mean, the the three picks. Obviously, you're gonna make those mistakes as a rookie, but they were really bad. Um. He only got sacked a couple of times that I recall, so at least he's staying upright a little bit. Uh, but only made 17 attempts, so I don't know. I I wanted to like Haskins just a little bit because everyone kind of poo pooed him, and you know the the arm talents there. I just I don't think he's ready for the NFL quite yet. I, I think he needs his time with the clipboard. Uh, I think they need to try to milk this Keenum business for as long as they can. Because otherwise, you know, you could you could go full Rosen on Haskins and just completely obliterate his confidence. And then we could be looking at a, well, I mean, that clearly didn't work. So let's go find somebody else once they fire Gruden and realize it didn't work. And it could be super messy. So I think for the sake of Haskins, I hope that they don't play him. But I fear that you're really accurate with the, it may be Gruden's only hope. And that's scary for everyone
1: yeah and it it is kind of weird how just one year after like the Rosen thing it wasn't something we've ever seen before where you know a young quarterback was thrown into a terrible team and earns the number one overall pick. but we're seeing it again with Rosen in miami and and we possibly we'll see it with haskins with Washington, where basically the quarterback they're obviously they want to do well because you know that' part of their development. But they're also playing for their jobs because if they don't win a few games, then the team is going to be in a position to replace them after just one year. Whether it's Rosen in his second year in the NFL, first year in Miami, or it's Haskins in his first year with Washington. Because, you know, the Washington may look or the new head coach may look and say, OK, we'd rather go after Tua. We'd rather go after Justin Herbert over Dwayne Haskins. So certainly whenever he gets in, I think he's playing for his job, which is a bit ridiculous, but that's to say the NFL today.
2: Right. Yeah. I I mean, teams are fully committing to the tank and I mean, I guess I applaud them for it because you see a lot of teams that should be trying to lose accidentally winning games and costing themselves draft capital. Tampa, so, uh, Tampa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's um I think you have to commit to the bit. So we'll see we'll see what direction Washington attempts to go if they're gonna try to do something with this season, which I think would be a little bit stupid. But uh, they also did just invest in Haskins, so I don't know. It's it's a it's a tough one right now. I think I think they'll be better suited once Gruden is gone and they can kind of clear that path for whatever they want to do in the future. But there's not a whole lot going on there right now that. I see as a part of the future.
1: All right. Well, if Josh Rosen or Dwayne Haskins get married anytime soon, I don't think Dan and I are invited to the wedding after talking about how they're gonna lose their jobs to to a tag, law. Blah, blah, blah. But in case we do get invited, Dan, we have our good friends over at Indochino. They were founded on the belief that you don't need to spend a fortune on a custom wardrobe. Men look good in a suit, you know, whether it's me, you, good friend Eric Bertzlav, Justin Peek, we're all all looking good in suits. And in case you want to look good in a suit, you have to. You have to get involved with Indochino. It's the world's largest made-to-measure uh, menswear brand. They make suits, shirts, coats, and more. And everything is made for your exact measurements for a great fit. The best part is that they are affordable. Almost all of their custom clothing is under $400. Under $400 for custom clothing, that's a good deal, folks. The process is simple. Choose your fabric, pick your picker customizations, and submit your measurements. Your package will be delivered straight to your door in two weeks. You get measured and design your own suit at your nearest Indochino showroom, or do it all online at Indochino.com. Start your style upgrade with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com while entering BlueWire at checkout. Once again, free shipping, Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE for your $30 off total purchase of $399 or more. An incredible deal for made-to-measure clothing. You have no excuse anymore to wear clothing that doesn't fit. Indochino.com, promo code BLUEWIRE.
2: Kind of love that Indochino. I actually got a shirt um I think last week it came through. They're like I always worry so, I'm sorry now we're now we're carrying on but I always worry when ordering stuff that it's just not even going to be close especially things where I'm meant to measure myself. Yeah. They're pretty awesome. All right, uh let's move to to the next thing down on our good old dock here. We've got the just randomly amazing and normally awful tampa bay buccaneers offense the the bruce arians era has begun officially after this last week where they put up a what was a 54 burger that's 55 55 okay um obviously one of those was at least one of those was a defensive touchdown but We uh, we finally got to see what this offense can do when everything's clicking. And Jameis looked like 75 percent really good and 25 percent still idiot. Now, Godwin had himself a real game. Evans started slow and then, you know, it, it kind of turned it into just kind of a normal game at the end. It wasn't anything like what he did last week. But everyone was getting involved, except for everyone, Cameron Bray pissing everyone, every O.J. Howard owner off. And a um, personal favorite of mine, Ronald Jones, showing up yet again and outplaying Peyton Barber. Yet Bruce Arians still insists on giving Peyton Barber looks on the field. So, Nathan, Tampa Bay as a whole, what are we doing here? Are are we Are we selling everyone? Are we buying pieces? Where do you think this offense is heading, and what are you doing with them?
1: I'm beginning to think that I was too low on Chris Godwin. I my my take on him throughout the off season was he's a very very good NFL wide receiver two, but he's never going to be an NFL wide receiver one with Mike Evans opposite him, and that might still be the case. But in an offense as good as Bruce Arians' offense is, it doesn't matter that he's the NFL wide receiver two on the Buccaneers' offense because he's putting up wide receiver one wide receiver two numbers each week. So. I, I think that he's not gonna be as consistent as he's been the first few weeks, but I think that he's gonna have some blow up games, he's gonna have some solid games, and I, I think that putting him in the box of he's just an NFL wide receiver too was not the box to put him in. I think that he's you know, a top sixteen ish dynasty wide receiver and I, I think he's here to stay.
2: I agree. I, I think I think in the off season I had a conversation about looking at Evans and Godwin a lot like we looked at Thielen and Diggs, uh, whether it was before last year or in the middle of last year when they were both really performing and, and looking good. Uh, I think that these guys can exa- absolutely coexist. I think Tampa is not quite good enough where they're going their volume is going to be hindered. I still think both of these guys can easily see 10 targets a game, and we've seen... Jameis and and maybe the game plan even show some favoritism to one of the guys. It seems like when one of them has a massive game, the other one's just kind of mediocre. And, you know, I, I feel like Godwin can be a wide receiver one in an offense, but he's not going to be that guy when Mike Evans is around. But I do see both of these guys as kind of that low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two option just because of the love we've heard from Bruce Arians about Chris Godwin. His usage hasn't really faltered aside from the the little bit of injury from last week. And that was the big scare going into this week was that he was injured. And obviously putting up 12 for 170 and two kind of <laughs> put those naysayers and and uh, those folks to the side. Uh, by the way, we need the probable ta- tag back. Hashtag NFL. Um, oh, I, I benched
1: Godwin in the league and it still hurts.
2: Yeah, me too. I did it in Kadoosh. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the preconceived idea on Evans that he was going to be a top three, four, five wide receiver. I think you have to slide him back to like how I mentioned earlier there. He's probably closer to that 10 to 12 range and, and Godwin's probably in that 12 to 15 range. But that's again, where we had Diggs and Thielen going into the year. And then, you know, that whole rushing thing happened. So, so I think cousin cousins just being awful. Yeah, that that doesn't help and the Stoof the the, the Kube Fansky offense. There we go. That's just a weird dynamic and Zimmer just forcing everyone to run the ball. So, anyways, back to the Bucks. Um so yeah, the, the wide receivers I like, I, I think I move Evans down just a little bit and I think Godwin just kind of stays where he's been. But I think the bigger question in this offense because I think we agree that Godwin and Evans are not only going to coexist but produce pretty darn well, is the backfield. And Ronald Jones is someone that I was pretty high on coming in last year and never really got the opportunity, whether it was confidence or health or whatever, or just Dirk Ketter being the worst coach in the NFL at the time, aside from Adam Gates. But now he's still kind of getting getting pushed by Peyton Barber and we consistently see Ronald Jones outplaying Peyton Barber aside from week well, it was a week two when he got hurt you know barring injury he's significantly outplayed Barber and I just I don't get why they're still they're still running Barber 10 12 15 times when you could very easily just give it to Jones 18 and be able to use your passing attack that has been I mean, it's it's been relatively dominant. Obviously, you probably don't want Jameis throwing the ball more than 35 or 40 times a game because there's a really high interception percentage coming with him. So I guess I get wanting to split carries a little bit. But Ronald Jones is the, according to Scott Barrett, the number one graded running back through for PFF so far this season. So, you know, when you're up there with the Dalvin Cooks and the way Austin Eckler's played, it's kind of hard to say that he hasn't been playing well because it's pretty darn clear he's been playing well. The only thing I wish I saw more of from him was in the passing attack. Now, that was one of the the kind of setbacks of him, or or maybe not a setback, but a, a negative on him was that he wasn't real prevalent in the passing game. So he could end up being just one of those two-down guys, but I think he's explosive enough and, and can do enough with just carries that he can make up for that difference.
1: Yeah, so th- this was definitely the, the biggest advantage that he had in carries in comparison to Peyton Barber you know, so far this season. And you're right, Peyton Barber did dominate in that week two performance, but it's been very close every other game. And then obviously he had more carries in week four. And with, with Jones, NFL teams to an extent are stupid and <laughs> they will see like, they, oh, Ronald Jones scored a touchdown last week. Just the fact that he scored that touchdown is going to give him more opportunities in week five because they're like, oh, we got to get the guy who's getting the ball in the end zone. And so that that's kind of just how the brain of NFL teams works, even if touchdowns are random and really don't matter that much. But yeah, so with the, with the backfield, that's my take on it is that, I mean, I, I, I still a little bit, I'm not quite on the. Go bye 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 Ronald Jones right now. I, I think he's just okay. I don't think he's gonna be some consistent RB2 year in and year out. I, I think that he's good this year. But I, I think he could very easily lose his He's I don't think he's talented enough to not lose his job pretty quickly.
2: Ooh, see, I think he is talented enough to maintain that job, and I think he's proven that even just through four games this year, that obviously we're comparing him to Peyton Barber, but he is so much better than Peyton Barber. And it's kind of gross that they have that 50 50 split going right now, even though we've seen a trend towards Ronald Jones. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I I think I'm going out and buying him pretty aggressively. September ADP had him somewhere in the realm of like running back 50, which is about 20 spots too low just as a baseline. And if anyone's still valuing him in that, even in that ballpark a little bit, I think you absolutely smash by. And, you know, sell wide receiver fours for him, wide receiver fives, maybe. I, I feel like I feel like wide receivers always have that little bit of edge on running backs as far as value goes, depending on your league, I suppose. If you're in a high stakes league, running backs always carry more value. But for the most part, everyone's trying to build, build, build on wide receiver, even though running back has made itself a comeback as far as value goes. I still think you can get rid of those, probably a wide receiver four, maybe five, and find yourself a Ronald Jones share.
1: I do want to comment. I do have a prediction about the tight end situation in Tampa. I was one of those that fought the Bruce Arians hates tight ends because obviously he's never had anyone as talented as OJ Howard. Bruce Arians has had made a couple remarks basically saying OJ Howard's not very good, uh, which is moronic. But <laughs> uh, my official prediction is that within the next nine months, OJ Howard is on a different team traded for like a third round pick.
2: I would love that very much because I I'm I'm a little plump with OJ Howard shares.
1: Yeah, so I I I thought the he hates tight end narrative, uh, but it does look like he's going to focus on those wider receivers. Granted, the Bucks have the talent at the wider receiver position to completely ignore the tight ends, but yeah, I I have very little hope for OJ Howard this year. I I think that it might be you know it might be elsewhere where he ends up getting getting a better role. All right, let's move on to our final uh, discussion of the day, and it'll be the Tennessee Titans offense. We had Corey Davis with his uh, first big game of the year, AJ Brown with his first big game of the year, and Derek Henry continues to just be a workhorse back. Uh, thoughts on that offense, Dan?
2: I think it starts with the guy under center. Um, Marcus Mariota his, gets a ton of crap week in and week out, and I'm sure he's not putting up super gaudy numbers or, you know, Putting up massive points with this offense, but he's been pretty darn consistent and he's not turning the ball over. He has been sacked way too many times. However, this week versus Atlanta, he wasn't sacked once. And that's a nice step forward. Obviously, last week playing against Jacksonville, who's got that um, pretty ferocious front five, six, give or take. Uh, but he was sacked nine times last week. So we don't want to see those anymore. However, he has thrown for over 225 yards three times this year. He does have seven touchdowns versus zero interceptions. So I think because the way Mariota has been playing, we see everyone in this offense get a little bit of an uptick. And then we go to next in line there, which is Derrick Henry. And he was a guy that I always disliked because of his two down back nature. But, the volume, a lot of times, is the difference maker in these types of guys, and everything pointed to this being a Derrick Henry year. Now, he's already got 78 tu- or 78 carries through four weeks. He had his season high this week at 27, and he finally broke that 100-yard marker this year. And it was his only game without a touchdown. So I think the floor and ceiling are probably both pretty darn close together, but they're about as high as they can be for a two-down back. I want to see Henry be more involved in the passing game, but only nine targets and five catches through four games isn't exactly appealing. He did have that one big catch in week one versus Cleveland that he took to the house. But, yeah, Henry's, Henry's a high floor, low ceiling. Those, those lines probably overlap at some point. And then you mentioned the wide receivers. I think everyone was kind of on board with Corey Davis. At least a lot of people were on board with Corey Davis being the wide receiver one in this offense and A.J. Brown being a really nice two. But I think we have a 1A and a 1B, and I think both can do plenty of things to succeed. And again, this is a couple of guys that can coexist. My fear is the volume and the upside. So we know Mariota isn't going to be your Mahomes, your Rogers, your Breeze, your Brady. He's going to do just enough to get by and make a few mistakes, which, you know, the more you throw it, the more likely you are to throw an interception. And Mariota just doesn't quite throw it all that much. However, we did see both of these guys have nice games this week. And they're producing with kind of not much for volume. Corey Davis had obviously the skunk in week one, but he's been relatively consistent with his targets. You know, kind of in that between that five and eight range all year. AJ Brown, kind of the same thing, doing doing a lot with a little. Week one, he I mean he had 100 yards week one too, but this this week he had his two touchdowns. But he's got 194 yards in those two games on only seven targets. So he's he's converting his his Limited targets into points, so obviously that matters. But the volume's not quite there for me to really go after either one of these guys super aggressively, and I don't think it'll really ever be there as as long as this offense is a run by Mariota and b has this coaching staff involved that it does. Vrabel's just not ever really gonna be that guy.
1: I also find the game started stat a, a bit hilarious because, it went, of course, from the non-quarterback position, because AJ Brown started the first three weeks and of course his biggest game of the season, 94 receiving yards, two touchdowns. He did not start uh, this pa- this past week. I don't think that really means anything, but I I do think that more so than Evans Godwin, I think they are a 1A, one a one one b, and I I lean slightly towards Brown right now personally, but. I, I think that at this point it's more so that Brown has the higher higher ceiling and the higher floor. With Davis, I think much of his much of his uh, floor is gone. There's not really any protection for him if he is put up or shut up time this year. If he doesn't put up a wire receiver two, wire receiver three season, then he's basically put into that bucket of wide receivers that are like, okay, this guy's okay to have on your team as like a wire receiver four or five, but there's not any sort of like wire receiver two upside.
2: Yeah, that like like we said before, the, the upside really is is held back by the potential volume, and it's just you know both of these guys are gonna have to try to do a lot with a little, and that's kind of tough to ask of these of these folks. They they'd be much better off with someone like Russell Wilson, who's extremely efficient on on you know limited volume. So I don't know. I like both of them. I think they can both succeed in the NFL. I just think it's kind of a tough break that they went where they went. I'm probably holding both of them right now. I don't think it's a good opportunity to sell, maybe trying to sell Corey Davis after his one true wide receiver one type week to see if he can get any sort of that, that preseason value that was on him before they drafted AJ Brown. And I think I'm definitely holding AJ Brown. I think the the real buy in this offense is probably Marcus Mariota because he's been, he's been solid and he's pulled up nice points Obviously, you're not going to have to pay an arm and a leg to get him. And he's a nice QB, too. Yeah, and he's
1: actually, both he and Jameis, their roles this year, as far as like their NFL futures, is they have to play their teams out of quarterback drafting position. So they have to win enough games where the Titans and Bucks are not picking in the top eight, top ten. And that's how they end up getting their extensions, because the, the teams don't see, oh, should we take Jake Fromm, or should we pay hundred million dollars to James Winston or Marcus Mariota.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think both of these teams are probably five hundred clubs at this point. Which maybe. is
1: terrible. So right. so so bad.
2: Not not ideal. Not in this not in this climate.
1: Alrighty. Any final thoughts before we wrap up the show, Dan?
2: Uh week four was crazy. I don't want to do that ever again. Let's uh avoid stupid weeks. And a uh,
1: bold prediction because the, the Monday night hasn't started yet. Mason Rudolph, four touchdowns tonight. No, no way. Delete this if it doesn't happen.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Kadoosh.